Do you guys like Christmas cards? Do you send Christmas cards? Some of you do. Um, we don't do very well at sending uh, Christmas cards. We do really well at receiving Christmas cards. And uh, every year I always look uh, for one of my favorite verses, one of my many favorite verses. Um, it says here, uh, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Does that sound familiar? It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And the government shall be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I look for these every year. Uh, it's really a cool passage. It is loaded with... Uh, Theology. We call it Christology, the doctrine of Christ. Uh, what, what do we learn about who Jesus is? And the whole passage uh, we're looking at, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, is loaded with information about the doctrine of Christ. And um, I'm, I'm hoping, and last week and this week and next week, we'll unpack that uh, carefully and uh, that you'll know more about this subject talk show host larry king was once asked if he could go back in history and interview anybody in history who would he who would he pick and he had a short list of several people that he wanted to uh, address and one of those was jesus christ and it was asked him what would you ask jesus christ if you had the chance and Larry King answered very quickly. He said, I would ask him if he were indeed virgin born. Because the answer to that question would define history. Do you know that that's absolutely true? Larry King was right. The answer to that question defines human history. Last week we started uh, Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. We focused on verses 1 and 2. Uh, you may remember if you were here. And to review that, I want to go to the New Testament and look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. So uh, just stay with me. This is a, a first century now, the book of Isaiah written in the 8th century before Christ. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. Uh, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. So Matthew is recording what happened in Jesus's life. And he's saying this fulfilled Isaiah chapter nine, verses one and two. And here's what one and two said last week. Next slide. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Let me just remind you, Zebulun and Naphtali are areas of land given to two tribes of Israel in the northern part of Israel. So consider them like counties in the state. That's kind of how large they are. They're not very big. Uh, this is a land area in the north of Israel. It's along the Jordan River. Now, if you know much about Jesus, he hung out there a lot. John the Baptist baptized in the Jordan River. Jesus and his disciples baptized along the Jordan River. The people living in darkness. Remember, it was a dark time spiritually in the land of Israel. 
And um, because of their uh, lack of spiritual interests, God just kind of pulled up the borders, and he said he was going to do this in Deuteronomy 28. He said he was going to let this happen. If you don't walk with me, I'm just going to pull back some of the safe measures of your nation and let, let your neighbors invade. That's exactly what happened in 722 B.C. The Syrian army under Tiglath-Pileser III came in and just stomped northern Israel. And they were in total subjection. They carried off thousands of Israelis back to Syria. It was a time of great darkness. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, light has dawned. So a prophecy about light uh, that would come in this darkness. And uh, let me remind you in the, we talked about this last week. We're going to see it again this morning. The, the, the idea of uh, the light having dawned. The idea is the prophet is speaking with a prophetic perfect. And he, it's, it's a way of, of a, a, a verbal form of the Hebrew readers could understand this is prophetic. This is future. And it's stated as if it has already happened. So please know that. Uh, then let's go to verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus went public. That's when Jesus went public. Um, his public ministry begins three years and the light of the world. Remember John eight twelve. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus presence publicly ministering. He, uh, he taught his disciples. He discipled 12 guys. He did miracles. Um, he healed people. And all of this was to show who he was. Okay. Let's see the map. Remember this. This is, we gave you a new version of the map. This is a, this is Googleized. Um, but land of Naphtali and land of Zebulun. See the little town of Nazareth up there in Zebulun. That's where Jesus grew up. It was, but it was prophesied 800 years before uh, that, that this would be a place where the light would dawn. Land of Naphtali. Um, There's a little town right on the, see the Sea of Galilee? Right on the North Shore, there's a place called Capernaum. We just saw that in Matthew chapter 4. That was Jesus' headquarters. So this would be an area that would be blessed. And you can see the Jordan River connects the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. A lot of great ministry happened along the Jordan River. Go clear down to the bottom, you see, not toward the bottom in the south, you see Jerusalem. That's the major headquarters where all the religious stuff happens. That's where the temple is. And then right off uh, to the south, a little bit to the west, is a really small town called Bethlehem. And so Jesus is going to be born in that small town of Bethlehem. He's going to grow up in the north in the land of Zebulun, and he's going to serve in that whole area of Galilee of the Gentiles. Why was it called Galilee of the Gentiles? Because the Gentiles invaded the land and and just stayed. And that was a difficult time for the Jewish people in their history. Okay, I know, I'm just, I just, I'm throwing lots of stuff on you. Um, let me just review the, the two points we had last week. God is sovereign and works out his plans in history. God was sovereign. Uh, it was a time of great darkness, invasion by a neighboring ar- army. Lots of people were killed. And God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring a light. It had nothing to do with their performance. It had nothing to do with answer to prayer. 
I mean, there's no, no scripture to back that up. God is sovereign. He worked out his plans. God took about 700 years to do that. It was his timing. I'm sure there were a lot of people who wished he would have done it instantly. God doesn't always work that way. God is sovereign and works out his plans in history. We talked about in an application how he works out his plans in our life. God is sovereign. One of the saddest things that's happened uh, this last week is what happened in Newtown, Connecticut. Everybody in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. And how do we say God is sovereign and he works out his plans? Was that God's plan? I can say God allowed it to happen. It's not what he wanted. Um, We live in a world, the way God has designed is that he's designed that you and I have a free will. And you had the choice to come here today or stay home. You have the choice to do something good or you have the choice to do something evil. That's been the truth throughout history. And um, you are not by nature good. According to scriptures, we all have a sin nature and we, we can choose evil pretty easily. And what happened in Newtown, Connecticut is evil, dishonors God. God is, is uh, his heart is broken by what's happened. He's deeply grieved by what has happened. He is angered by evil. Um, I don't know how God works good. That's his business. I don't, I don't know how God works good out of this. It's way beyond me. But I trust God and God has not changed. And God's purposes have not changed. And uh, we have great reason to be saddened. And uh, this is a great tragedy. It's not only affecting us, it's affecting our country, and it's affecting the entire world. It's amazing. And yet it's an act of evil. If you study history, it's happened all through history. And if I, what I understand in the Bible, it's going to continue to happen until there's ultimate justice, and that's coming, and that's what our passage is about. Okay. Um, so um, the second point, that's God's sovereign works out his plans in history and in my life. The, secondly, God's solution for people walking in darkness is to send uh, light for the world. First of all, he sent his son. Remember, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And um, he sent Jesus to be light. And secondly, he sends us to be the light to our world. Uh, God uses you and me to make a difference to our world around us. That's God's plan. You and I are to be a light. Uh, let our, we are to let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and give praise to the Father. Um, that's what the church ought to be about, is so that people can find Christ by the way we live. That our lives should make such an impact and such a difference that people will want to know the Jesus that we talk about and the Jesus that we trust so that they too can become followers of Christ and true worshipers. Okay, we want to jump into the passage now, verses 3 through 5. First of all, if you follow in your outline, 
uh, God shows the, the future victory of his son. God shows the future victory of his son, verses 3 through 5. This is a very little known passage. I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. It's not well known, but I, I want you to see how it fits in the context. Uh, first of all, verse 3, it will be a time of great joy. We're talking Isaiah's time, and he's talking about the future. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 3, you have enlarged the nation, increased their joy. Isaiah the prophet is talking to God. You, God, have enlarged the nation and increased the joy. It's related back to the light that would come and, uh, on the land of uh, Zebulun and Naphtali, the light of the world. They rejoice before you as the people rejoice at the harvest. Harvest time every year was a time of a great celebration. When, they, when the work was done at the end of the harvest, they had a big party. Praise God. Look what God has done for us. It was a great celebration. This future time is going to be a great celebration. The next part of the verse is men rejoice when dividing the plunder as if it's a great victory. A uh, time of rejoicing, a time of celebration. This is coming out of that darkness and gloom. It's complicated. Let me see if I can help you here. It's really easy for us. We have the Bible, and we can look at the Bible, and we can see how things unfold. Think about the people in Isaiah's day. People any time in the Old Testament history, they have bits and pieces and clues, but they don't know how they fit together. For example... Isaiah chapter 9 is a prophecy about Jesus coming the first time. He grew up in Nazareth. He ministered in Capernaum, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. A light has dawned. And we know of his public ministry. It was amazing, exciting, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people became followers of Jesus. And he did miracles. And he died on the cross and he paid the penalty for our sin. And he... uh, was put into a grave and he was resurrected on the third day and he ascended into heaven. Pretty amazing stuff. But guess what? That's not all there is, folks. That's what Isaiah 9 is about. It's also about the future. We would say um, his life in the first century is about the first advent or advent. But the rest of the passage is about advent 2.0. Remember, we've talked about that. When Jesus comes again. That was hard. When a prophet got this information from God, he didn't understand it all. He would like, if you could see, if if this could be a mountain and this could be a mountain, he'd have two mountains in front of him and picture that this is the coming of Christ, the advent. But what he doesn't know, there are two. He sees them and he sees bits and pieces of both. But we see it like this. Oh, this is what happened the first time. Oh, there's a thing called the church, and that's what the Apostle Paul tells us about. Oh, he's coming again. And we know that because we can look back, but they don't get all this information. So uh, something good is happening. There's going to be a time of great joy, verse 3. Now we go to verse 4. It's a time of great freedom. For as in the day of Midian's defeat. Now they can understand this because they can look back to Midian. This is Judges chapter 7 in the life of Gideon. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. And so it's a story of Gideon, um, that 
about defeating Midian. Uh, Midian was a group of people southeast of Israel. Gideon had 32,000 troops to defend Israel. God said, that's too many. I want to I I pull back the number here. And so they dropped off 22,000 and they got 10,000 left. And God said, that's too many. And then God narrowed it down to 300 so that God would get the credit with the total victory of uh, Midian. And it was a time of great freedom. Uh, this fear of this nation coming in and, and overpowering them, and uh, they are free. The rod of their oppressor is removed. This was a supernatural victory when God used Gideon to defeat this people, the Midianites. And in the future, it will be a supernatural victory. It will be a time of great freedom. Now, we can say there's a time of great freedom for us because um, we, we can be free from the penalty of sin, freedom from the, the law that, that's a burden. But it's way more than that kind of freedom. This is an ultimate military victory. I think it's yet future. Um, if you want to read about it, just read Revelation chapter 19 and the first part of Revelation 20. Verse 5, it will be a time of, and by the way, the reason I'm not going to spend much time on this part is because I'm going to talk about some of it next week. It will be a time of righteous justice, verse 5. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for fire. It will be a time of righteous justice. You know, Israel knew that they had a Messiah coming. We call the Christ. Messiah means anointed one, a promised one, a special one, one that would fulfill God's promises. He would be a great great, uh, king. He would be a powerful military leader. When they saw a military leader, what what did they expect? They expected someone like a Roman general riding in town on a white horse leading a vast army. That's what they wanted. That would solve their problems. That's what they needed in the 8th century when the Syrian army was there, they needed somebody to march in on a white horse and kill everybody. They wanted revenge. It wasn't God's plan. It wasn't God's plan. Um, and verse 5, every warrior's boot in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. That did not happen in the first century. Yet, it's future. There will be a battle. Revelation chapter 19, verses 17 through 21. It speaks of judgment when Jesus returns. And I think it's going to be a fulfillment of Isaiah 9, verse 5. So application for us, God has already won your victory by delivering you from the power of sin and death. Um, In Isaiah 9, Scripture speaks of a future victory of God's Son. It was about Israel's future. We already have a victory because of God's son. We're looking back now 2,000 years. They were looking ahead at least 800 years. We're looking back. Um, We see some things that God has already accomplished because he sent his son. For example, Romans chapter 5. This is the apostle Paul. When does he write? 
60s AD, late 50s. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, which we now stand. And we rejoice. We looked at this the first week. This is the name of our series, Rejoice in the Hope. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. It's because God sent his son. We have peace with God. Why? Because God sent his son. And we already know, looking back, that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, that we needed a savior. We didn't know that. And we understand that we're sinners and that the only way that we can have a relationship with God is by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And look at the result. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace. We, uh, by, by faith into this grace, which we now stand. We have a new standing before God because God sent his son. That's part of the victory. You have victory over sin and death right now. Isaiah and I look for a future victory for the people. You already have a victory. By the way, you're going to have a future victory too. Uh, another passage, Galatians. Uh, yeah, I better finish this one. Verse 3. Not only also, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. By the, do you rejoice in your sufferings? I don't like to. Um, we rejoice in our sufferings when we see the big picture because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. God can use our suffering and develop us and give us hope. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. It's another result of God sending his son is that you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. And God is expressing love to you through the Holy Spirit. One more passage, Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ, Paul says, and I no longer live. Because I've been changed, I've been transformed, God has made a difference. I have a new standing with God. My sins are forgiven. I have eternal life. The Holy Spirit lives in me. I'm now a citizen of heaven and a child of God. And it happened because Jesus was crucified and God did a work in me. It's called co-crucifixion. And he put to death my sin nature and gave a victory. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's just one thing uh, about the victory that you already have because God sent his Son. So in verses 3 through 5, God shows a future victory of his Son. Now in uh, verse 6, we're just going to begin verse 6. God's solution for people walking in darkness starts with a child. God's solution for people walking in darkness starts... Did you know that Christmas is this complicated? You just thought it was all about the baby in the manger. It is. That's why we celebrate Christmas. But how did the baby get here? Okay. Let's talk about this. Um, God's solution for people walking in darkness starts with a child. The people walking in darkness go back to verses 1 and 2. This is Isaiah 9. Let's stay in the context. Uh, let's learn about this child. He is a unique child, a very unique child, Isaiah 9, 6. For to us, a child is born. This is God's plan. For to us, who? The nation Israel. For to us, a child is born. God's whole plan to see the big picture of the Old Testament. God picked a group of people 
Abraham and his descendants to whom he would bless the world through them. And he would grow them into a great nation and he would give them a piece of land and he would give them a, a law, a government for their nation. And he, would, he said, I'm going to send a promised one. And it's going to come through your families. And he's going to tell you how many families and who's involved. And then I'm going to bless your socks off. I'm going to bless the whole world through this one individual. That's, you know, like the main purpose for this people, Israel, the Jewish people, the 12 tribes of Israel. For to us, a child is born. So what else do we know about this child? Well, it's easy for us to look back. Not easy for them. Isaiah 7, 14. Same prophet. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, meaning as something supernatural, something miraculous. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So that's a clue right there. It wasn't easy for them to figure out. It's very easy for us to figure out because of all the information we have. Another important passage is 2 Samuel 11. This is the Old Testament. This is even earlier than Isaiah. The Lord declares to you, David, the great king of Israel, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over, meaning you're dead and in your grave. You will rest with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring. It's got to be a descendant to you who will come from your own body. There's going to be a genetic link and will establish his kingdom. He's going to be a king. He is the one who will build a house for my name. Now, David's going to have a son named Solomon, and he's going to build a house. It's going to be a temple. That's a literal physical house, but there's going to be something else, and it's going to be metaphorical. And it's going to be a spiritual house for God. He is the one who will build the house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. How long is that? This is not going to be just any old king. Not just a good king. Not just a great king. This person is going to be an eternal king. Another key passage, Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, this is a little town. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, Judah is the tribe they belong to, and so it's be like the county they belong to. Uh, Out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over all of Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Hebrew readers understood what they were talking about. From, From somebody who lived before, somebody who was alive before. And it's a reference to from eternity past. The, the uh, safe translation would be a ruler for, over Israel whose origins are from eternity past. This is an eternal one. Uh, next slide. We, we often know Micah 5 too, but you know the rest of it. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until there, a time when she is, who is in labor gives birth. And the rest of his brothers returned to join the Israelites. This is probably not a birth of a person right here. Um, We do know that the land of Israel was desolate, that the people were driven out from 70 AD until 1948. I am frankly not sure all that verse 3 is talking about. 
But I can tell you what verse 4 is talking about. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. That is a future time. Verse 5. And will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. That hasn't happened yet. That is still future when his greatness um, reaches the ends of the earth and when people will live securely, verse 5, and he will be their peace and uh, deliverance and destruction, uh, which speaks of future judgment. All of that from that little person born in Bethlehem. So uh, what we've seen is a lot here in verses 3 through 5 relate, uh, what we saw in verses 3 through 5 relate to the future, Advent 2.0. So he's a unique child. He's also a unique son. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Again, the scripture says, to us a son is given. A son is given. Whose son? How about John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave. To us, a son, somebody would give a son, and it's going to be God the Father. Now, we can know this by looking back. They did not know this looking forward. Um, Jumping to the Christmas story, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 35. This is what you like to hear sermons about when you come at Christmas time. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee. So this is the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Angel Gabriel. Who's Gabriel? Well, Gabriel is the guy who spoke to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 about 600 years earlier. It's pretty cool to see that how an angel works. And an angel's a significant spokesperson in the Old Testament. And years later, the same angel comes to speak something extremely important for God. He came to a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Okay, key thought there, descendant of David. Promise to David. You're going to have a, you're going to have a son, a descendant that reigns on your throne forever. And you, you'll know that when someone was pledged in the first century to be married in the land of Israel, it was like legally binding. And the only way that you could change that is you had to have some kind of legal, you either got married or you had to have a legal divorce. It was that big of a deal, that big of a commitment. You couldn't just give the ring back. You had to get a divorce. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said to her, this is pretty cool that God would send a spokesman and sort of explain things to Mary. Because this is kind of a big deal, what's going to happen to her. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Uh, Next slide. Uh, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You You found favor with God. Now, the angel didn't say to her, Mary, you're sinless now. We are now going to raise you to the the level that you could be worshipped and people can pray to you. The angel didn't say that. You, you have found favor with God. You've been chosen. You have God's grace on your life. And he says, Mary, don't be afraid. Angels often do that because people are often afraid of angels. I probably would be too. 
you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. So God is the one who appointed his name. Next slide. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Most High is a name for God. It's the Most High God. A Jewish person understood immediately that this was a reference to someone equal with God. The Son of the Most High meant this person was God. Um, The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. Oh, we're going to go back like 900 years to this prophecy about the, to David having a descendant. And he will reign over the house of, the, of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Good question, Mary. Since I'm a virgin. Next slide. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High, the Most High God will overshadow you so that the Holy One to, to be born will be called the Son of God. This will be a very unique pregnancy. This is a very unique conception. This is not an immaculate conception. This is a miraculous conception. Miraculous. It was a miracle. It was intended. It was a sign. It was intended to be. This this was an eye-opener for all of God's people. People of the Old Testament this is a sign. This, God is doing something new and different. Wake up. Pay attention. This is what a sign is all about. And so uh, this happens to Mary. Okay. How about poor old Joseph on the other side of town? Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 23. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. We already know that. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Sure. Can you imagine your girlfriend saying, hey, I'm pregnant, and it's the Holy Spirit? I mean, mean, Joseph is a good guy, and he probably loves Mary. Mary's probably, he's probably thought Mary's a godly woman, and she's pregnant? Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, the scripture says he's a good guy, and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He's thinking of, he's trying to think of her. He had in mind to divorce her quietly because that would be appropriate if your girl uh, committed fornication and was pregnant. That would be an appropriate thing to do. Next slide. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. It's good that an angel went to, that Gabriel went to uh, appear to Joseph because, you know, Joseph doesn't get it and he's not sure about Mary. But God is going to set him straight. And he's never going to be able to forget this. This is why Joseph and Mary could hang in there until the end. Because God took the time to speak to them personally. And um, he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's just like she said, Joseph. It's a supernatural conception. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. That's the same name Mary said, because he will save his people from their sins. Uh Uh-oh, that's new and different. We didn't see that coming. We were looking for this great military leader. We wanted revenge, and this guy is going to save his people from the sins? Isaiah gives clues of that later in Isaiah 53, but there's not a lot of information about this being a savior. 
There's a lot of information about him being a great king, but not a lot about being a savior. Next slide. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to the son and they will call him Emmanuel. That's Isaiah 7, 14. All of this was to show the connection between Isaiah 900, uh, 700 years earlier and uh, this new baby. And he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. What's that all about? God with us. In a baby. Um, He's fully human and fully God. That's what this is about. He is fully human and fully God. We call this the incarnation in theology. Let me uh, show you a passage that picks up on this. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It's one that you may know well. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So if you don't hear anything else I say today, just walk away with that. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus. And here's what we pick up from the picture. Who? who, Jesus Christ, being in the very nature of God, had the same nature as God, did not consider equality with God because he was equal with God the Father, something to be grasped. So here he is in heaven. He rules from heaven. He's a creator of God. And he's not going to hang on to that high position. He's willing to give it up and become totally humble and even humiliated. Um, But but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Uh, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Now think about this. Think about Christmas. Think about the, the manger and the little baby that goes in the manger. Jesus Christ humbled himself to the point he couldn't change his own diapers. He couldn't feed himself. All he could do was cry and wait for somebody to serve him. And he had to learn. He couldn't walk. He couldn't talk. And he had to learn just like you. He humbled himself. He limited himself to humanity, to identify with you. And then he became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. That's not only humility, that's humiliation. Death on the cross. Uh, Some of you know in the Old Testament, the scripture says, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. Anybody who would hang on a cross was cursed. The Jewish people understood that. And the truth is, Jesus was cursed by God because he bore the penalty of the sin of the world. Uh, Next slide. Therefore, God, he died on the cross, obedience to the death. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in the heaven and on earth uh, and under the earth. Next slide. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a day coming. It's future. It's after Advent 2.0. Every knee in the universe, every, every being, human and spiritual, will bow the knee. That's worship. Every uh, being will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. For some, it's going to be a great celebration of worship. 
For some, it's going to be an awful reality. So, application, Jesus is your only solution and ultimate source of life. Isaiah 9 is more than a passage about a cute boy. Uh, The the birth of Jesus is a cute story, and it's a great story. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Jesus is our only solution to ultimate life, solution and ultimate source of life. He's come that we might have life and we have it to the full. But it's about his boundaries and his values and his uh, guidelines. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way of access to a relationship with God the Father, the only way of access to heaven, the only way of access to forgiveness of sins. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's not just a way. He is the way. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man or a woman remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is the ultimate source of your life. It's where all your strength comes. It's through him that you, the only way you can ever do anything significant and eternal is through the life that you get from Jesus Christ. Apart from that, you can do nothing. Nothing. Nothing, nothing. Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do everything that God wants me to do. I can't do everything there is to do. I can only do what God wants me to do. And he provides the resources for me to do whatever he wants So in Isaiah 9, God shows us the future victory of a son. Uh, what happens when light invades the world? And we know the rest of the story. We know all that happened in that first century, all the impact that Jesus had. And uh, we're also going to be able to share in the victory that's displayed at the second coming. And lastly, God's solution for our darkness is the child, his son, and the ultimate source of life. Here's my question for you. Is he your Lord? We know who the Bible says he is, but who do you say he is? And it really comes down to, are you willing to allow total control of your life into his hands? Are you willing to acknowledge he has a right to rule in your life to do whatever he wants? It's really that simple. Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to look at your scriptures and to see how you've revealed your son and the information you've given along the way, the encouragement and the hope for the future. Thank you for the resources you've given in our lives. Thank you that Jesus is the only way and that we have the privilege to have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ, your son. 
May we not, Father, just celebrate uh, the birth of a baby, but may we also celebrate who you are, what you've done in our lives, and be able to rejoice because of the hope we have. And God, it's my prayer that um, each of us would think about what it means to submit our lives totally to you. And just as we stand before him, is there, is there, what are those things right now that you place above what Jesus wants? Are you willing to acknowledge those and give them over to him and put him as number one? God, give us the courage and the power to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.